Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It is the pot of thunder and rock and roll and Jesse the body, Jesse the mind, Jesse the governor, Ventura returns to Talk is Jericho today. He's got a new Substack and podcast called Die First Then Quit. You can check it out at jesseventura.substack.com. He'll tell us a little bit about his new show and he's also telling some great wrestling stories really open up about that. Talking about his time, he sued Vince McMahon and won how his lawsuit actually changed the business for the better for future generations of wrestlers. He tells the Tito Chico Santana story and explains why Tito was his favorite person to wrestle. Jesse shows a few details with the infamous plane flight where Mad Dog Vashon opened the plane door mid-flight. True story. Nobody died miraculously. And Jesse's also got plenty to say, as he always does, about his new friendship slash partnership with Andrew Yang how they're hoping to change the American political system, and whether or not Jesse may be a candidate for president in 2024. It's a great conversation, as it always is, with Jesse the Body Ventura, um, a good friend of mine and a very opinionated and not afraid to say what he feels, that's for sure. But before we get going, we're not afraid to say that Fozzie's heading out again this fall. The Save the World Tour continues September 8th in Columbus, Ohio. We're crisscrossing the United States, doing a couple shows in Canada. FozzieRock.com for all dates and ticket information, along with details on our legendary VIP meet and greets. Then we're heading down under in November and December, New Zealand and Australia. Fozzie is coming, kicking it off in Auckland, November 28th, hitting Brisbane, Melbourne, Sydney, and Adelaide. Also going to New Zealand, like I said, also heading back to the UK in November. We're heading to Northern Ireland, Ireland, Scotland, Wales, London. So many gigs coming up. Go to FozzieRock.com for all info and ticket details. And don't forget about Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea. Lots more coming up uh, and to be announced and to be revealed on that. ChrisJerichoCruise.com. All right. All of the bookkeeping is done. Now it's time for the body, the governor, the mind, and maybe 2024 presidential candidate Jesse Ventura right here, right now on Talk is Jericho. All right. He's back. Jesse Ventura is here. Probably, I think you're fourth time on the show fourth or fifth time i'll tell you chris you get my age you can't remember no more <laughs> you know i got a, i got enough trouble remembering things going on i don't know how many times it's been a couple it's been yeah, yeah. Been a couple. looking good though got your hair growing out well i've you know it's funny because i'm bald and i just am too lazy to get haircuts right so i really haven't had a haircut since i left office but it never gets any longer <laughs> Because it just falls out and it gets to a certain length and it's no longer than that. And <laughs> I'm just too damn lazy or don't want to pay the money to have them go cut my hair or whatever. So I just let it grow and I'm not in the public eye, you know, holding like if I was a governor, I probably would go see the barber. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what I tell people. In fact, I tell them, look, if you want the key to whether I'm going to run for office, look at what my hair is doing. <laughs> Because I said, if I'm going to run, you're going to see me get a haircut. Well, and you've talked about that recently, about running again for president, for governor, for many things. Now it's more serious than ever. I mean, I dabbled with the, the Green Party two years ago till I found out they were split and completely dysfunctional. But I've been communicating and working very close now with Andrew Yang. Mm. And Andrew Yang's the real deal. And Andrew Yang is forming what's going to be called the Forward Party. Hmm. And we're calling it that because we want to look forward into the future. We don't want the past. We don't want nothing to do with the Dems and Repubs. They're the past. This is going to be the Forward Party. And we're hoping 
to get ballot access and candidates on the slate and have a presidential candidate and a convention by the 2024 election. And I'll tell you why, Chris. Right now, 60% of the country doesn't want Biden or Trump. Well, you're right. I mean, that's kind of one of the issues of only having a two-party system in the country. It's kind of one of the one of the reasons why things are kind of crazy, I would say. Well, it's it's a system that we've been stuck with for a very long, long time by design. I like to refer to it like my friend Ralph Nader always said, it's the two-party dictatorship. Mm -hmm. You'll notice that these two parties, they have no problem when it comes to defense and war. They're all on board. They rubber stamp anything. Bipartisan support if we're going to a war supporting the military-industrial complex of America no problem. Mm -hmm. That's the part that bothers me the most is that they're in lockstep over things that truly are negative to mankind. And yet they are at complete different ends when it comes to helping people and doing things for people. Like in the case right now, we all know that the war in Ukraine is important and the whole thing about it. But notice how easy they send money there but yet they wouldn't spend a dime on our own citizens for anything. It is interesting to me. And, and you spent, obviously, being the governor of Minnesota. What did you find out about politics that you didn't really expect? Uh, what I found out was, was that the two parties really and truthfully put their parties before the country. Hmm. That's the part I really, that hit me the hardest and was most disappointing is the fact that I believe your country should always come before your political party. That any decision you make, you put country first, not political party first. And the problem with the two political parties today is that the country be damned. It's the political party first. Mm -hmm. And so they don't support anything that goes against their political party, be it Dem or Repub. There's an easy way to fix it, Chris, and it could be done locally. Here's a thing that people can do. Why do we allow political parties on an election ballot? Why not just put the name of the candidate? Mm -hmm. And that way it becomes essential for the voter to educate themselves. Hmm. Here's John Smith. What does John Smith stand for? Well, the way it is now, if you're liberal, you look for Democrat. If you're conservative, you look for Republican. You don't even need to know the name of the candidate. All you have to do is know the name of the party. And that's the thinking they want you to have. And that's the thinking they've gotten us citizens into accepting. The name of the party rather than the candidate. So in other words, the party's more important than the individual. I'll tell you why else I'm concerned right now, Chris. We have two members on the Supreme Court who are blatant, dishonorable liars, hmm. Gorsuch and Kavanaugh. They were both asked point blank if they would overturn Roe v. Wade, and they both said they would not. They lied. They now did it. They lied. Now, Chris, think about this on a job application. And I know you're in the world of wrestling, so job applications aren't usually the norm. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, let's go back in your life where you really had to fill one out or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember. So a job application, which is essential what these two guys were doing. They were applying for the job of the Supreme Court. 
Now, on their job application or anyone's, they always ask you an important question, which would be like Roe v. Wade would be an important question to a judge. On a job application, they'll ask you, have you ever been convicted of a felony? Now, let's say you had, but you lied to get the job. And so you didn't check that you had. You checked you didn't. Mm -hmm. You've never been convicted of a felony. You get the job. Six months, year later, the business finds out you lied on your application. You have been convicted of a felony. Chris, you would get immediate termination, wouldn't you? Sure you would. In the private sector, if you lied like that on a job application, you would be terminated immediately. But yet these two judges will now continue on the bench and continue to make decisions that affect our whole country, and they are both unequivocal liars. Mm -hmm. I don't want a liar, a known liar on my Supreme Court. I want them gone. So how can they get gone? How does that even happen? Oh, I don't know. There's there's ways to impeach, but it's never going to happen with the Republicans. Right. You know, the other interesting thing about the Supreme Court and their Roe v. Wade decision lately, isn't it interesting? I think seven or eight of them are Roman Catholics. So they're bringing their religion to our government. Oh, that makes me feel good. <laughs> to have the Vatican running my Supreme Court in America, the Vatican oversees it now. And you're telling me that wasn't the major reason on Roe v. Wade? Because the Catholics now decided abortion's going to be illegal? Well, I don't want the Catholics deciding for me what our country is going to be. They have their religion have it. There's supposed to be a separation of church and state. And did you look at the latest ruling from them where they're now allowing prayer at school? They just gave that the go ahead. When Donald Trump said, make America great again, what he really was saying, let's go back to the 50s where white people were in charge. There was no civil rights at all. Women knew their place and everything was a white world. That's making America great. And that's what all of his followers believe today. That's what they're doing. So does that tie in why you kind of connected with Andrew Yang? Well, I connected with Andrew Yang because when I watched the Democratic debates in 2020, remember when they had about 15 of them up there, potential candidates? Yeah. I, I was overseeing them all when I heard them all speak. I said this truthfully in the back of my mind. I said, the Asian guy, Andrew Yang, he's going to be the first one to bolt from the Democrats because he's going to see through their bullshit. Interesting. You know, he's going to see through their bullshit and he's going to bolt from them. He'll be the first one. Lo and behold, Jesse Ventura was right. By the way, Chris, do you know that you're in the presence of a genius right now? <laughs> I've often suspected it. <laughs> well, you know for sure now, and I keep telling my son Tyrell that too. You know why I'm a genius? Why? Here's why I'm a genius, Chris. <laughs> Jesse Ventura is a genius because Jesse Ventura has common sense. And in today's world, if you have common sense, that makes you a genius. <laughs> I am now a self-declared genius because I have common sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You get my sarcasm. Thank you. Yes, of course. Of course. <laughs> Not everybody does. <laughs> but another thing with Andrew, he's, Andrew's been on this show before. He's a big wrestling fan. Oh, yeah. Huge. That's why I think Yang Ventura's got a good ring to it. Ventura Yang in 24. 
how does this work then? Like you said, if you want to try and start a party and, and, and get on the ballot, how do you go about doing that? Well, then you got to go through all the hoops. Right. Because they don't make it easy. Now, you'd think for president, it would be a standard thing in every state, right? Mm-hmm. It's a federal office. But it's not. Every state has different criteria, and they do that on purpose. Because that way, it, it helps stop any third-party movement. Hmm. These two parties try to do anything they can to create hoops and make it difficult for any third party to ever rise up to contend against them. You know, right now, how everyone in America is so concerned about the divide? I can assure people, Chris, and you can tell them, if Jesse Ventura runs with Andrew Yang and I become the president in 2024, the country will get united within three years, guaranteed. You know how I can do that? How? Experience. That's what I had in Minnesota. When I came into office, I had a Republican House and a Democratic Senate. For three years, whoever I sided with prevailed Mm -hmm. until the fourth year, the election year. Then they jumped into bed together to oppose me, the common sense middle governor. So there's your guarantee, Chris. I guarantee you by the end of the four-year term, the Dems and Repubs will be in bed together, working together to remove the independent governor or independent president, as it might well be. Mm -hmm. That's a guarantee. (laughs) They'll be singing Kumbaya by the fire (laughs) after three years. That's how tight these two parties will be if you get a third party president in. Wow. That's a fact, Chris. Take that to the bank. Well, I mean, this is why I always love talking to you because you're very outspoken. Uh, and this is also the last time we spoke was on your show. Okay. RT America was the channel? Well, it was, yeah, RT America. And, of yeah. course, my, my show was The World According to Jesse. And my son had uh, watching the Hawks. He was there for seven years. I was there for four. You know what I'm thinking of doing? I know your question, but I want to get this in first. Okay. Now that I lost my job at RT because they made it fold, my accountant told me I can apply for unemployment. Wow. There you go. Now, that ought to get some good press, shouldn't it? The 38th <laughs> governor of Minnesota is getting unemployment. I haven't did it yet, Chris. I'll ask you. I trust you. Would you do it or not? I'm entitled to it because for four years I was an employee and they paid it, so it's nothing illegal. Do you think I should collect the unemployment or not? I think you're going to do it just to see what people will say. <laughs> just to see what see what what, what rumors will uh, abound. No, no, it won't. It, Chris, it'll be for the money. There you go. No, no, no. Because you know what people say to me now. You know, I'm a veteran. You know, I did uh, you know Vietnam veteran. Did six years in the Navy and all that. I get people all the time now because it's a thing to do. They always come up and thank you for your service now. Right. Which, of course, is something as a Vietnam veteran, we didn't get that. We got the opposite. Yeah. You know, we were spat upon. We were, you know, I remember signs in San Diego, dogs and sailors keep off the lawn. Wow. I remember seeing that. Well, today, everybody thanks you for your service and all that, which is wonderful. But you know what I do? The caveat I give them today? I say, well, you're welcome on my service, but I think I should be totally honest with you. I always say, I didn't serve to be patriotic, and I didn't serve to go fight the Vietnam War. I served, and the reason I served 
the money. Hmm. When I went through Navy SEAL training, yeah. probably the most difficult in the world, I was making 62 bucks every two weeks, $124 a month. I was there for the money. Wouldn't you do it for the money? Well, yeah. And that, <laughs> Chris, you're supposed to laugh. That is sarcastic. <laughs> as well, I, yeah. can make I was it. like, is that supposed to be good at the time? 62 bucks a month? No, a week? it's horrifying. Yes, it's terrible. That's why I tell people I didn't do it for patriotism or to serve my country. I did it for the money. For the, for the money, right? Yeah. I was getting paid 62 bucks every two weeks. <laughs> do you know what I'd get today as a Navy SEAL? 200 bucks every two weeks? No, you get 50000 just for making it. Really? That's what I heard. Wow. I was making $124 a month when I was going through Navy SEAL training. <laughs> why, why was there such a backlash against soldiers from the Vietnam War? You mentioned that they were such issues. Well, because the politicians, like always, love to shift the blame. Mm -hmm. And they managed to shift the blame onto us because we lost. Mm. That was the first war America didn't win. Right. But we got peace with honor. You know, Richard Nixon told us that. We were getting peace with honor. Right. You know, that's the political answer to it. But no, I think and because the war became so unpopular, the politicians were very good at shifting the blame to the military guys instead of the politicians who caused the war in the first place. They got the public to believe we were in Vietnam because we wanted to be. Mm. And we were killing the Vietnamese because we desired to. And they didn't realize we were doing our jobs. We're doing what you're asked to do when you take the oath. It's like right now, Chris. Do you know why I hate the Republican Party right now? And I'll say it blatantly on the air with you why I hate them. Why? Because I took an oath to defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And on January 6th, the Republicans attacked my capital against the Constitution, and I saw a Confederate flag get carried through my capital with their blessing, and no one, and I mean no one, to this day from the Republican Party has apologized for it. All I want is an apology. I want the Republican Party to tell Governor Jesse Ventura they are apologizing and are sorry that a Confederate flag got carried through his national capital. Right. I don't think that's too much to ask, but I don't think it'll ever be done, Chris. I'd hate to admit something, but I'll try to word this as best I can. If I would have been security that day, the dude with the flag... I often wonder if he'd be breathing today. Mm -hmm. Get my message? Yeah, sure, of course. Well, what I was talking about before with, with the RT America, this was a Russian... It's Russian television. Yep. So is this why your relationship ended with, with them, because of the war in Russia and Ukraine? Totally. And it was actually our sanctions that took me off the air, not Russia's. So what, what happened? Well... The sanctions, first of all, DirecTV and all the providers took us off, so we weren't going to be on the air. Second, the banks shut them out, so we couldn't transfer money because the Russian money was no good in the banks. Right. So the sanctions they put on destroyed RT America. 
Now, what's bad about what happened was my last show, and I don't know if it aired in Russia or not, because it aired worldwide, if it did air. My last show, five minutes in, I stopped the show, and I said, I do not support this invasion. I want to stay right now. I'm totally against it, and I'm demanding the bloodshed stop now and the war end immediately. Now, wouldn't that have been a good message to get to the Russian people? Sure, of course. And yet my message couldn't get there because our sanctions took me off the air. Kind of weird that our sanctions actually stopped me from chastising Russia for invading Ukraine. (laughs) (laughs) And I'll admit this. I met Vladimir Putin before I signed. They flew me and my wife to Russia. For the 10-year anniversary of RT, Putin was the keynote speaker. I met Gorbachev that night, too. The Putin I met that night, I'm having a hard time identifying today. Mm -hmm. Because the Putin I met that night walked across the room to me. I didn't go to him. He walked across. He was keynote speaker. He came to me, held his hand out, said, thank you, governor, called me by my title. And he said, I want to assure you, you have total creative control and there, there will never be any interference in your show. And I said, thank you, Mr. President. And Chris, I have to tell the truth. For four years, they never interfered in my show at all. Hmm. He was a man of his word. So I can only judge him by my relationship with him. And I'm trying to figure out who this guy is today. What in the hell happened to him? Because I got the feeling when I met him, he truly wanted to be our friend. Mm -hmm. That was the vibes I got from him. And you know me, Chris, I'm not too far off with my vibes. But this guy, whoever Putin is now, either he worked me like hell, Mm -hmm. you know, and working a wrestler's tough to do. That's right. (laughs) You know, because we're involved in the biggest work that, you know, modern day has seen, you know, and we're involved in it on a daily basis. And, you know, so you have that going for you. You're going to be skeptical of everything, you know, when you come out of wrestling. I remember the old timers when I was in way before you, they used to tell me in the locker room, the whole world's a work, kid. (laughs) That's the exact words you'd get from them. You didn't want to believe them. But as now that I'm 70, I'm starting to think they were right. <laughs> <laughs> the guys that thought like the NFL was a work and the NHL was a work and the pro sports <laughs> is all a work. <laughs> well, what we used to always say in wrestling, Chris, we're the only legitimate sport because they won't let you bet on us. That's right. <laughs> all the other sports are controlled by gambling. <laughs> You got the gamblers controlling all the other sports. You don't see no gambling on wrestling, although you do now. Have you seen that? Yeah, you can go to Vegas and bet on the finishes Are now. you kidding me? Yeah. Jesus, if you can do that, why doesn't Vince or somebody lay down a huge bet and then control their own finish? <laughs> yeah. Switch the finish. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and get the money. You're getting embarrassed and laughing, Chris, because you guys have probably already did it. Yeah. (laughs) That was the first thing that entered my mind was that how can they allow betting on wrestling? Jesus, somebody's going to stroke them for some huge money. (laughs) (laughs) Do you pay any attention to the business at all nowadays, Jesse? Uh, To be honest, Chris, 
I will usually once a month, I will give it 10 minutes. And unfortunately, that's all it gets from me. And I'll tell you why. Now, I'll be honest. I haven't watched you guys as much as I probably should have. Mm-hmm. But when I watch WWE today, and I, it took me a while to determine why wrestling today, to me, doesn't have any intrigue whatsoever to it. And I'll tell you why. There's no rules. Interesting. Now, when I say that, here's what I mean. In my day, when you broke a rule, you could lose a match. Mm-hmm. In my day, when you broke a rule, the referee'd make you break up the hold. In my day, the rules meant something. If a guy was thrown out over the top rope, that was considered so dangerous. That was a disqualification. Mm. And with those rules, it allowed you to get heat. Because when you'd win by breaking the rules, people were angry legitimately. Today's wrestling, Chris, tell me a rule that can't be broken. It's very hard to be a heel in this day and age because, like you said, there's no consequences. No, tell me one. I could start the match off, hit my opponent, knock him out of the ring, and run his head right into the steel post. Yeah. And the match goes on. Now, in my day, you'd be disqualified for that. You had to hide it. You had to have some, you had to be creative to cheat. (laughs) Today, the performers don't need any creativity. They can blatantly cheat. Because again, Chris, there's no rules. You're not wrong. And that's why I can't watch. There's nothing there that intrigues me. A heel can't get my respect because he's not showing me the ability to perform and break the rules and get away with it because there's no rules to get away with. And the baby face, well, they start off, they don't even bother to show they're a superior wrestler. It's beating the guy right in the head and cut meat from the opening bell. (laughs) When do you see a hold? When do you see a guy go back to a hold? See, I guess the major difference, and I'll tell you this, is in my day, it was still wrestling as a basis. Today, it is street fighting is the basis. That's a good point. Because there's nothing you can do that can disqualify you. Let me ask you this, Chris. If I went out and kicked the guy right in the nuts, would I get disqualified? Well, you still have to do it behind the back of the ref. That's the one rule that still exists. Wait a minute. Really? If I went out and flagrantly in front of the ref, kicked him in the nuts, he changed the finish and disqualify me? Well, if it wasn't booked that way, no. But <laughs> Exactly. You see the point I'm getting to? Chris, you're going to learn, don't argue with the body. I never argue with you. You got full reign to say whatever you want. I never say anything. Chris, always remember one thing. I beat Vince McMahon in court. <laughs> Let's hear that story. It's a great one. No, no, I did. So so that's got to tell you, you don't want to argue with me. My wife can reassure you of that, Chris. My <laughs> wife will tell you, don't bother. <laughs> but this is when you he was using your voice on videotapes, right? Well, it's longer than that. What happened was I got induced. I did Predator. And I did Hunter, and I did Hollywood. 
well, all of a sudden I'm getting royalty checks. When Hunter shows on TV, a check comes to me. When Predator shows, a check comes to me. So I went into Vince and said, Vince, how come everything I do in Hollywood, I get paid royalties, and you're out selling videotapes all over the country of my broadcasts, my matches, and everything about me, and I don't get nothing? Mm -hmm. How come Hollywood pays me and you don't? And Vince said, well, I don't pay royalties, blah, blah, blah. which by law, he doesn't have to. Right. There's no law that says he's got to do it. Anyway, it's stuck in my craw. And every time I would negotiate with him, including when I stated the night I went into the Hall of Fame, the most uh, the biggest thing I ever did in wrestling was that I made Vince McMahon be the first one to make him deal with an agent. Well, from that point on, too, after he was dealing with my agent, every year my agent would bring up videotape. And every year Vince would say, we don't pay royalties on videotape, which the WWF or E as it is today, they have that right. There's no law. But it still ticked me off to the point I was so angry. I said, I want him to beat me in court on this. Because it just don't seem right. I own the copyright of my name and likeness. He's making money off it and not paying me a thing for all that he's making. So we went to court. Now, here's where we got him. It was during discovery. We also sued him under something, and here's what we won on, called quantum merit. Now, what that means is this. Chris, if you decide you want to hire me tomorrow to bring me into wrestling in your group, you and I are going to sit down and we're going to do a negotiation, right? Mm -hmm. Well, during this negotiation, I am to expect that everything Chris Jericho tells me is the truth. And if Chris Jericho lies to me about something in these face-to-face -face negotiations, that is quantum merit. That is an argument for the term where you can be victorious in court, you were lied to during the negotiations. Well, during discovery, we found out that Vince was lying when he said nobody gets paid for videotapes. Hmm. Hogan was getting paid. Mr. T was getting paid. Cindy Lauper was getting paid. All the people from the outside entertainment world we're getting videotape royalties from the WWE. The only people not getting it were the wrestlers. So we were successful because my attorney, when he had me on the stand, said, Jesse Ventura, if you knew Vince McMahon was paying video royalties to Hulk Hogan, Mr. T, Cindy Lauper, and all these people were getting videotape royalties, would you have agreed to work without royalties? And I said, absolutely not. I would never have agreed to work had I known they were getting paid and I wouldn't. And that's what won the case. The case was won on quantum merit. Vince lied when he said he didn't pay royalties when the reality was certain people of the hand-picked group were getting royalties. And if he paid me, then guess what? All the boys might jump on board. <laughs> but it depends if all the boys had a legitimate negotiation with him. See, my agent came and testified. 
you know, that, yes, I brought this up to Vince McMahon. And yes, Vince McMahon told me we don't pay royalties. So I accepted that as WWE policy. Well, it wasn't. It was a lie. It's interesting because now they don't have DVDs and videotapes anymore. They've put it all onto the network and onto Peacock. Yeah. And the boys don't get royalties again. I know. And I've, I'm thinking about that when he, see, the reason he's now sold my royalties, I couldn't touch him on that when, he, when Vince initially did it. But I'm looking at it again now because it's now no longer in-house. Right. See, he was allowed to use my broadcast because they were in-house WWE. He has now sold that for money. Yeah, big money. I should have been paid some royalties. Me too. <laughs> because, well, I don't. were you getting royalties from him? Yeah, because everyone was getting royalties when, when they put together a DVD or, or a videotape. Oh, really? You so know? my court case actually changed everything? Yes, it did. I didn't know it did that. It really did. You guys actually started Absolutely. getting- Absolutely. Well, God damn it. How come you guys haven't built a statue to me? Uh, listen, man. I'll you damn wrestlers. Oh. You know what the Mongols have done for me? <laughs> what have the Mongols done? Well, you know, I'm a full patch Mongol. I don't know what that is. Mongols Motorcycle Club. Okay, what do they do for you? We're the outlaws, the Mongols. Yeah, what'd, you, what'd they do? Well, I'm a full-patch Mongol. People didn't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah, well, I am and have been since I left. The, I was with them when I got out of the military. Okay. I'm a black and white with the Mongols, right? Well, I sang a song that they adapted. <laughs> They're still singing it today in my honor. In order to be a Mongol, you have to be able to sing this song and you have to say who wrote it. <laughs> And that's why you wrestlers, since you were getting videotape royalties, and I'm the guy that was ballsy enough to take Vince to court, I think I deserve some type of honorary from the world of pro wrestling for what I did for the boys. I'm going to get you a Jericho vest with a Jericho patch and send it over to you. And if I sell that bastard, how much money will I get for it? dude i'm telling you what a couple couple dozen bucks for sure <laughs> you know i'm having fun with you chris <laughs> something we've talked about quite a few times uh another one of your big interests is conspiracies and uh you know the kind of some of the shady underbellies of society etc what has been kind of uh, on your mind recently for for conspiracies well first and foremost let's clear that one up a little Conspiracies are not really a thing that I delve into. I did write a book on it, yes. Yeah. And I am neck deep into John F. Kennedy. That's been a passion of mine my entire adult life because I was in seventh grade when the president was assassinated. And so I do take interest in the lies on the killing of President Kennedy because that's all it is. Lee Harvey Oswald didn't kill John Kennedy. There's no doubt in my mind he did not. And we're never hearing the truth on it. We never will. Because what happened that day was a coup d'etat. And our country never wants to admit to coup d'etats. You're seeing it right now. January 6th was a coup d'etat or an attempt. Mm -hmm. And they won't admit to it. They don't. Mm -hmm. and, and the murder of John Kennedy was a coup d'etat. Same thing. It's just a different type. That has always intrigued me. But I don't necessarily have a big passion for conspiracy theories. What happened was when I got done with my fallout with MSNBC when they couldn't put me on the air because I opposed the invasion of Iraq. Mm -hmm. 
I was with Mark Idkin, my agent from William Morris, and we were around a table with a bunch of people, and somehow the talk got to Kennedy. And I went off on a big tangent on Kennedy, and Idkin looked around the room, and he goes, people, this is a television show waiting to happen. Right. You know, so Mark, who was powerful at William Morris, and he got on board. And we started putting it together, and thus came Conspiracy Theory, the TV show. And we were fortunate. It ran for three years on 2TV, who, who truly didn't know what they were getting, and they were not prepared for it. Mm-hmm. You know, two TVs used to seeing mom and dad out beating the kid in the backyard at the junkyard, <laughs> stuff like that. That's what two TV shows. Yeah, cops. Yeah. Well, they weren't financially ready to back and financially an investigation that this would require to put forth. Mm-hmm. And so we, we then put it together and it ran three seasons, eight shows a season. Well, today, Chris, they've been deep six. You can't get them. Really? Oh, the government's bad, especially the second year. Wow. The second year is where I covered 9-11 and JFK. You cannot get them. What's his name? Man Cow, the big DJ in Chicago? Yeah. He had them all. He came home from work, went to bring one up, and they wiped his computer clean. Wow. Oh, yeah. He went on the air and was screaming and yelling about it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Conspiracy theory. The only place I heard you can get it now, you got to go to the Internet and go to the United Kingdom. Wow. Because they've wiped the slate clean of them in the U.S. They don't want nobody watching them. Well, we talked to a lady. It was on a different subject. She came with General Stubblebine. Have you heard of him? No. Well, he's the guy that they talked to goats. Remember that movie with the intel? Well, Stubblebine, that's who it's about. And I have a friend in Intel. He said, you interviewed Stubblebine? I said, yeah, he came up from South America. And this guy in U.S. Intel said, holy crap, you got him? <laughs> well, while we were interviewing Stubblebine, he had a, his girlfriend or wife was with him. And this was back in 2012. And she started jabbering on tape about how in 2018 or around then, we were going to get hit with a pandemic and there would be a mandatory thing for vaccines. Hmm. And we got it recorded We found it so bizarre, and it really had nothing to do with the topic we were talking about. We left it in the show. So it's her thing is in the show. My show now has gone ballistic on that with all of the anti-vaxxers. And they're saying, look at this. Jesse Ventura had a person on conspiracy theory who predicted six to seven years before the pandemic that it was going to happen. Wow. And she had it right to the year. What what do you make of that? Well, I don't know what to make of it, to be honest, Chris. Because that wasn't the subject we were talking on. She just started pumping it out there. And we found it so bizarre for the show. We thought, hell with it. Let's just leave it in. You know, so it didn't end up on the editor floor where it truthfully should have. Mm -hmm. And now it went out. And now, oh, yeah, it went. What do they call that when things go crazy on the Viral. Goes viral. Viral, yeah. It went viral on the internet that Jesse Ventura's conspiracy theory show predicted the, and then I, then they yelled at me. I got threats and everything. You know why? Because I went and got vaccinated. Right. And now everyone says I'm a traitor (laughs) because I got vaccinated because I made a personal health decision for myself. I'm over 70. I've had lung problems. 
and everything indicated I was better off getting vaccinated. I would have a better chance to survive than if I caught it. And I do wear masks and I don't bitch. You want to know why I do that, Chris? Why? All these pussies out there, and excuse me, women, for using that vulgar term, but all these tough guys out there that bitch about a mask, try being a Navy frogman where you spend the better part of six to eight hours a day with a mask on and a rubber tube in your mouth, (laughs) 30 feet under the water, and then bitch to me about having to wear a little mask into a store. (laughs) Jesus. Give me a break, you bunch of bananas. (laughs) A banana is a term in seals. You don't want to be called a banana. You don't want to be a banana? Yeah. No, because a banana is something that's soft on the outside and soft on the inside follow me yes and it's like my new show on com or uh what do you call it substack substack yeah i always forget the name substack my show is called die first then quit that's a navy seal slogan in the training area oh yeah (laughs) in other words they're telling you die first then quit Hmm. you don't quit first and and every guy in training will be faced with that chris you will come up to something in training where mentally you will reach the point where you will have to tell yourself, I'm going to die trying. Hmm. I'm going to do this whether it kills me or not. No, there's things that come up where that thought, I'm going to do this whether I die, but I'm going to try. And then you end up doing it. You don't die. Well, a Navy SEAL is one one of the most difficult. It is the most difficult. No, it ain't one. It is. is. So what was the most difficult thing that you had to do while training to be the most difficult? Well, the most difficult is always what they call motivation week. What's that? Well, you start on Sunday night and go till Saturday with no sleep. Mm. And the instructors break off into two groups, a 24 on, 24 off, because they've already done it. Right. And you go straight through. That's at the end of first phase. And if you graduate from that, up until that, it's all, it's five or six weeks of nothing but physical. Right. To weed people out. They want you to quit. They do everything to make you quit. Then when you get through what they call first phase, which ends with that, you then go to second phase, which in my day was demolition and land warfare. That's when they now feel they have the trainees they want and they start teaching you. Mm. Then third phase is diving. But through all of this, you're still doing PTs. You're still doing runs. You're still getting harassed. And here's the thing about SEAL training, Chris. In SEAL training, during the course of the day, if you're moving, you have to be running. Really? Yeah. That means anytime you move, you have to be running. There's no walking. You run to run. You run to the O course to run the O course. Anywhere you move in the day, you're running. If you're coming back from the chow hall, you have to run. There's no walking allowed in the day. Only running. Now, here's one where I had the thought of die first, then quit. I'll give you my example. The Friday before Motivation Week, you have what's called your Tijuana Run. That's where you go out to the beach in Coronado and you run in the sand, the sand, to Tijuana, the border at Tijuana, Mexico. It's roughly 14 to 16 miles, depending on the tide. So it's a, let's round it off. It's a 15-mile sand run. 
in the sand in combat boots. You ain't running it in Nikes. You ain't running it in, you know, New Balance. None <laughs> of that shit. You're in combat boots and greens. Well, our morning before the big run, you're going to do that in the afternoon, right? You still have PT in the morning. Physical training where you do the push-ups and the calisthenics. Well, our one instructor, Terry Mother Moy, and there was a word that followed mother, but we <laughs> called him Terry Mother Moy. His big thing at PT, he'd lead PT, and his big thing at PT was the four-count deep knee bend, which they don't even do today because sports health has told them not to do deep knee bends. They're bad for your knees in the long run. Well, we didn't have sports medicine. Pain is good. Extreme pain's extremely good. That was another one of our sayings. Well, we get into the four-count deep knee bends, right? A one, two, three, four. You do it in four stages of the deep knee bend, right? Mm -hmm. You do it in sets of 20. Moy had cranked us to 200 of them. He then will yell, what's the count? And you better tell him. So we come back, 200, Moy. He looks around sneers at us and goes, no, it's not. It's zero. Oof. So he's now throwing out 200 deep knee bends don't count. Eesh. So he's cranking us more and more, sets of 20, sets of 20. We're now nearing 500, not counting the 200. Mm -hmm. Those have been thrown out. As we approach 500, We've been there now four to five weeks, so we're getting cocky as trainees. Shipton and Kuznerzik, two of my fellow SEALs, they yell out, Hey, Moy, as we're approaching 500. Hey, Moy, Instructor Moy, you look like you're getting a little old and tired. Oh, under my breath, I'm going, what in the hell are you saying? <laughs> to end the story, Moy ends up because of that. He cranked us 1,000 deep knee bends, and I swear on my children's lives. 1,000 deep knee bends, not counting the 200. We did 1,200 deep knee bends. He gave us a right face to run in a circle. Guys were falling on their faces. I spent the last 200 pushing with my arms to get up. And we're facing now, Chris, a 15-mile run in the sand is coming up in a matter of hours. I couldn't even run the circle without falling. My legs are gone. We thought we were going to be the first class in Navy SEAL history that zero would graduate. <laughs> because when you do this run, there's an ambulance following you. And people that go down get tossed in the ambulance and you never see them again. Out of sight, out of mind, they're gone. Now it comes to the run. We run out to the beach, which is about a mile run. We get to the beach to make this 15-mile run. You know the first thing they did to us? What? Made us run out into the surf zone and get soaking wet. Oh, shit. Now we're wow. soaking wet, combat boots, greens, and wet. And we got to go 15 frickin' miles. We hadn't ran 50 to 100 yards down. And I was at the point. I was at that point, die first, then quit. Yeah. I actually said to myself, I can't make this. Mm -hmm. We started the run. 
We got about 100 yards down the beach, and one of my classmates yelled at the top of his lungs, Are we there yet? (laughs) I did exactly, Chris Jericho, what you are doing right now. I burst out laughing, and at that very moment, it came over me, I'm going to make this frickin' run. All it took was to make me laugh. Mm -hmm. And I had a legitimate laugh when my classmate yelled, are we there yet? And we hadn't (laughs) ran a hundred yards. I burst out laughing. The whole class did. Now, we did lose some people. But then you know what they did to us when we were done? What Mother Moy did? Because he did this, he went into the officer and said, I burnt these guys today. I want to reward the ones that make it. Okay, Whitey Weir, the officer, do it. He made us all put a buck in the back of our greens pocket. When we got down to IB, we got marched back up to a bar called the Old Plank Inn. It was owned by an old frogman, and they had a big area in the back outside. They marched us all in there. They told us, throw your dollars down on the table. It was Friday. We threw our dollars down on the table. Mother Moy gathered them up, took them out came back in with kegs of beer and we got fricking drunk and most many of us were under 21 we weren't allowed to drink imagine that chris i can go through seal training i can kill for my country or possibly be killed but i'm not old enough to drink beer i know ridiculous right yes you got to cross the border up into canada you only have to be 18 there no, we'd go to the border to Tijuana. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. You'll have to be ten. You'll have to be twelve there. <laughs> By the time I got out of the Navy, four years later, three of us went to TJ one weekend for the hell of it. We went to the bar down there. We got carded. <laughs> no, there had been this whole revamp of Tijuana. They got a yeah, new yeah, yeah. mayor in, and he cleaned the town up. <laughs> the hooker houses were gone, and they, I stood there and said. You get ID'd in Tijuana, Mexico? Are you kidding? <laughs> but we did. I got ID'd in Tijuana at age 21 or 22. They let me in because I was old enough. Let's talk about your show in Substack. You called it die, die First, Try Later. No, Die First, Die then First, quit. Then Quit. What's the, the concept of the show and why, why are you uh, delving into this now? The concept of the show really is Jesse now has complete freedom. Gotcha. No more MSNBC, no more RT America. You do what you want. No more MSNBC, no more producers over the top of me. No more do I have to worry about if I say shit, drop an F-bomb if I want to, because none of it falls under the FCC. First and foremost, let me say this. I'm 70 years old, and I'm having the opportunity to work hand in hand with my son. Hmm. That alone, Chris, I hate to say it, and I didn't think Jesse Ventura would ever utter the words, but working with my son, I'd do it for nothing. You know? That's great, yeah. yeah. That's how I feel about it. At this point in my life, to be able to work hand in hand with my son is something that uh, money can't buy. Yeah. Salary ain't going to do shit on that. Mm-hmm. So. That's first and foremost. Second, freedom. I can say anything I want now. What's great is I have different means. I can now do a vent like I'm doing right now. I can get on camera and vent Mm -hmm. for as long as I want. 
I can do writing if I want and do a whole written thing if I want. I have all of the entire media scope is now available to me with no handcuffs. Right. Live or die with Jesse Ventura and what I do and the freedom that that provides now, the fact that I can work with my son and the fact that I can do it at home. <laughs> or at my son's house now. Right, right. That's in and, and, and the fact that any nothing's off limits. Whatever you want to talk about. Yeah. They've already they're coaching me a little and they're saying, you want a slow build. You don't want to be a flash in the pan. You want a slow build. So cover topics, cover different things, do it and build it. So I haven't gotten to it yet, but I'm gonna do shit on wrestling. I'd be crazy not to. Oh, absolutely. That's a place where, and I'd say it on your show, if people want to hear Jesse Ventura now, Substack, die first, then quit. You'll hear me and I'll talk about wrestling things because many of the things that I talk about sometimes have direct ties to the world of wrestling. Like when you talk about unions. And you talk about working conditions, and you talk about many things like that. The world of pro wrestling fits into a lot of that. My experience is there. Mm -hmm. I can get on there and tell them firsthand, be an eyewitness to the day Mad Dog Vashon opened the door on Vern's plane. I was on it. (laughs) (laughs) In the air? Yes, and I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to save it and make them pay for it. <laughs> Hell yeah, I was on that plane. Oh, my gosh. I think there was only seven people who can legitimately say that I was on the plane when Maurice Mad Dog Vachon opened the door at 10,000 feet. <laughs> and I'll just say this, Chris, so you know, it truly didn't frighten me. You know why? Why? Well, I had 34 jumps, and the majority of them all were from higher than 10,000 feet. So I was well aware you can open a door on a plane and it's not going to crash. Gotcha. So I didn't have, in fact, I was the, I shouldn't say this, but I was the one that got the lower half of the door closed because I went out and did it. (laughs) Not outside the plane. I stayed in the plane. I couldn't get the upper to close, and that's why we had to make a, emergency landing in Fort Dodge, Iowa. But that's a story for people are going to have to pay to hear the intimate details. To hear that whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) Because everybody needs to hear when the pilot confronted Mad Dog, what Mad Dog said. And I was right next to him. And I will not reveal what he said, only on Substack. (laughs) 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 And believe me, What he said is priceless. (laughs) There you go. It's worth the cost. It's worth the cost. Yes. It's worth triple. (laughs) (laughs) Is is there a match that stands out for you as your favorite that you had or a favorite experience that you had in wrestling? I'll tell you this. I went to a wrestling autograph thing earlier this year. Mm -hmm. Hadn't been to one because of the pandemic. And I had the good fortune of going there. And I'll give a plug here, too, because I want to. I had the good fortune there that night. Tito Santana was there. Mm -hmm. Tito and I hadn't seen each other in years. And so it was just wonderful seeing Merced again. I will tell you this. Without naming a single match, I'll simply say 
Tito Santana was the most favorite person I enjoyed wrestling. I got you. Out of anyone in the business. And I'm honored because Tito, I don't know if you know this, but Tito's written a book. I didn't know. Get it. It's phenomenal. He gave me a copy. And the reason I'm so touched by the book and him is because the title of his book is Don't Call Me Chico. (laughs) Why is his book titled that? Well, when you were commentating, you always called him Chico Santana. Yeah. With with a very derogatory way of saying it, too. Yeah. Now, (laughs) here's here's the chapter why the book is named Don't Call Me Chico, which to me was such an honor. I was was just taken back that he named his book, you know, after. Here's the story about it. At that time, I had switched to the broadcasting, so I wasn't seeing the boys except uh, at television tapings. And I'd fly every three weeks and be in a booth with McMahon or whomever, Gorilla, mm-hmm. whoever I was doing it with. The wrestlers, they didn't see TV because they're on the road. They're either traveling or wrestling. So Tito, what happened was <laughs> Tito's showing up to all these venues and the fans are calling him Chico. It even <laughs> got to the point they're holding signs. <laughs> that say Chico. Now, Merced's caught because he's a baby face and he's trying to figure this out. So he goes over like it it first happened at an airport. He said, I'm waiting for my baggage to come down in San Diego. Big group of fans. It's huge. As soon as I got my bags, I walk out, hey, it's Chico. And they're all young Chico. And they all come running over. Merced goes, well, you guys know my name's Tito. And they go, oh, yeah, we know that. Well, then why are you calling me Chico? They wouldn't tell him. So he goes for about a month, and it's getting worse and worse in the book, and he's going, I'm going crazy. (laughs) He said, finally, I get to a town, and a guy's got a big sign, Chico. I go over to him, and I, I sign the sign, and I go, you know my name's Tito, don't you? Yeah. Well, why do you call me Chico? And the kid finally, he said, the fans smartened me up. His next lines in the book are Jesse the Body Ventura. And he follows it with, I should have known. (laughs) And then he explained, he said, Jesse was so over as a heel that when he would call me as a babyface a derogatory name, it got me over more. Right. Because he was this villainous, horrible guy. So I got over more. It brought the Mexican crowd to me. I was their hero because of this guy, because apparently Chico means like little boy. Little, yeah. Yeah. And so that's what's offensive about it. You're calling him a little boy, Chico Santana. (laughs) And so Tito comes to me at TV and we both laughed like hell over it. And then what I loved about it in his book, he took an entire paragraph. He said, I want you people to know there is not one racist bone in Jesse Ventura's body. He said, Jesse Ventura was so over as a heel, he would make you money by being derogatory towards you. Sure. He said, the more he insulted me, the better it was for me. He finished it by saying, Jesse Ventura was a total credit to the wrestling business. He said, Jesse Ventura made me a ton of money. And he said, and he was great at doing it. Mm -hmm. 
Chris, I laid in bed in that hotel and it brought tears to my eyes because no one in the wrestling business has ever said that about me. Mm -hmm. So I tell people, if you want to read a good book and the rest of it's outstanding, it's called Don't Call Me Chico by Tito Santana. And Tito, I name him. It's either him or the late Jimmy Snuka, mm-hmm. who I had the opportunity to be the villain. Jimmy was the baby face in Oregon. Those two guys, if I had to pick that I had to wrestle anybody any night, Tito would be number one, Jimmy a close number two. But Tito, Merced and I, we were laughing about it because we went through our match right in front of the people. <laughs> And we both agreed. There were. I'll put it to you this way. Tito and I wrestled once. The announcer announced 10 minutes gone, and we hadn't touched each other. <laughs> wait, wait. And the fans had been out of their seats three times. Yeah. <laughs> three times we got the fans out of their seats, and the announcer said 10 minutes gone, and we hadn't touched <laughs> each other yet. That is a wrestler who knows how to wrestle. And that's the compliment Tito Santana gave me. He said, Jesse Ventura was the greatest wrestler in history at getting the most out of a crowd by doing the least. That's that's it. That's the secret. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so proud of that, Chris. I can't tell you how proud that makes me feel because to me, that epitomizes wrestling. Yep. Giving the fans the most while actually doing the least. Well, Jesse, it's been great talking to you, man. You too, Chris, and let's do it again. Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, I'll have you on my show, if you will. Let's do it. I'd love to. Yeah. I'd love to. to. I'll do a thing on wrestling, and we'll bring you on. In fact, I'll promote your promotion. Perfect. I'll tell you what. You come on my show, and I'll let you talk about your promotion to sell it to my listeners. Let's do it, man. That sounds great. Very good. Thanks, Chris. Have a great week. We'll talk again. Thank you, sir. Absolutely.